Okay. Hey, good morning. Good to see you, Steve. My brother. Take out your Bibles. I hope you brought them with you. Only six days until Christmas. All right. Some of you feel differently about it. You know, some excited. Some like, finally, it's over. It's been a long time coming. This, this should be fun. You know, I mean, Walmart's been getting ready since like early October. And, you know, Santa showed up at your mall and first weekend in November. Your favorite radio stations got hijacked with only Christmas music at some point around Thanksgiving. Everyone loves getting ready for Christmas. You know, it's not just the day of. It's all the things that lead up to it, right? And I'm the same way. I love this season. The shopping is fun. The shopping has changed drastically with my kids getting older. You know, we used to go wait in line to get these very important things, and now it's like, what do you want? Okay, Amazon app, okay. What do you want? Okay. What do you want? Okay. Delivered, done, you know. It, Christmas changes as your kids get older. Uh, but I love, we still watch our favorite Christmas movies. We kind of got our list of ones we got to make sure we get through until, you know, before the Christmas season is over. Going out to look for lights. I think we might do some of that tonight after the Christmas concert. We're going to listen to Christmas music, okay, Christmas parties, families, friends, all that. But let me say this here at the outset today, okay? For Christians, for Christians, the celebrating of Christmas ought to look different than for the rest of the world. Do you know that? Like, we shouldn't just, I mean, all these things are good. I like movies and music and lights and things, but. Our celebration, the reason for celebrating, ought to be different than the rest of the world if we are in Christ. I don't know how much you know about the the church calendar and where it came from and how we've gotten to where we are, but for the church, the rhythm of connecting Advent season to the coming of Christ happened actually around the 6th century. But the coming that they had in mind was not Christ's first coming in the manger in Bethlehem. It was his second coming in the clouds on that last day, coming as judge of the world. It was not until the Middle Ages that Advent was kind of specifically and explicitly linked to Christ's coming at Christmas time. Okay, So because of that, really, Advent season for us is this great opportunity for us to remember and look back to the long foretold first coming of the Messiah but also to look forward to his coming again. So these things that are up here, this love and joy and hope and peace, they were were brought in by the first coming of Jesus, but they will be perfected at the second coming, and we ought to look forward to that. We look forward to the future coming of Christ because if we're honest, the present time around us is kind of bleak, isn't it? I mean, anyone ever kind of woke up recently and kind of found themselves discouraged by what's going on around them in the world? Anyone ever turn on the news these days and turn it off and feel like you just need to go to bed right away? Yeah, the things going on in the world around us are not good. They seem to be getting worse. But let me say, if you've read your Bible, this really shouldn't catch you by too much surprise. Okay, because we should not be all that comfortable around here. Why? Well, this isn't our home. In fact, the Bible says we're exiles here, kind of aliens and strangers, that we are citizens of another kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. Amen? Yeah. We need to anticipate the good that is to come. The 20th century Christian martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer, prayer warrior, incredible man, this is what he said about Advent. He said, 
The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Are you ever troubled in your soul? Have you ever found this world that you're living in to be lacking in some way? There's a band, they're kind of famous, they're called Mercy Me. They kind of become really big Christian band. But years and years ago, they wrote a song that I don't think ever got really recorded. And I used to love the lyrics to this song. And it's called Jesus Come Quickly. Let me just read a few lyrics to you. It says, Come quickly, Lord. Oh, please show your face. Revive us now from our lifeless state. We need your help. Oh, this world can't wait. So show us your grace and your mercy Jesus, come quickly. Have you ever said that? Jesus, come quickly. Because of what, I mean, I don't mean like when your teenage girl, you know, gets a boyfriend for the first time. I mean like <laughs> just because of everything that's going on around you. Jesus, come. We need you. This world, it needs you. Um, and so as we've already preached on hope and joy and love, today we find ourselves preaching on peace and the peace that is brought in by Christ Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, where we're going to find one of the most memorable messianic prophecies in all of the Bible. It'll sound familiar to you here in just a minute. But leading up to chapter 9 in Isaiah, let me fill you in a little bit about what's going on. It's a lot of war. It's a lot of bad stuff, okay? A guy named King Ahaz is king of Judah, okay, the southern kingdom. And Assyria, not Syria, but Assyria, they were going to come in and invade Palestine, okay? And so the kings of Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom, they had kind of made a pact together to be against Assyria. And their plan was to force Judah to join with them. They were going to do that by kicking out King Ahaz, by overthrowing him and putting in kind of a puppet king that they could control. Okay, so that's all that's going on in King Ahaz's life. No big deal. Okay, so he's a little stressed and anxious. He is afraid of, of Syria and, and Israel coming in and overthrowing him as a king. But he's even more afraid of having to stand and fight against Assyria. So this is what's going on. Isaiah the prophet now shows up, knocks on king's door. And King Ahaz says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm kind of just going to do nothing. I'm just going to kind of, you know, hold out and maybe see if I can submit to Assyria without a fight, conform to whatever they want. And maybe I'll make it through all of this. Isaiah the prophet gives King Ahaz an alternative. He says, I tell you what, King, why don't you forget about all of this, you know, follow the world, follow this kingdom, or make this ally. He says, why don't you wholly and only trust completely in the Lord? Do you know what King Ahaz chose? He chose wrong. He rejected the Lord and instead continued to plan on looking to Assyria for help. Isaiah comes again and says, hey, king, okay, I tried to warn you, Judah, your kingdom will in fact be completely devastated by the Assyrians who you are so foolishly running to for help. Times were not good back then in the times of Isaiah. They were not good. They were going to get worse, maybe similar to what we are experiencing today. The people of God, these these people who had once gone from darkness to, of slavery in Egypt to, to following God's light in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, they were once again walking in darkness because of their constant rejection of the Lord. And I know that this will blow you away, but guess what? God loves the world. 
even when we constantly reject him. And so we find some good news in Isaiah chapter 9. He's saying all these things are going to happen. It's going to be war. It's going to be devastation. But listen to what he says in Isaiah 9, talking about the future in verse 2. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Can I give you a little thing to do in your Bible? Every time you see lightness or darkness or light and dark circle or underline or square or do something that, that ought to be a thing that jumps off the pages at you. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And I want you to jump to verse 6, and this will be very familiar. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus is our prince of peace. Let's pray very quickly. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. You are the one true God. You are the sender of Jesus, the son of God ushering in peace to this world that you love so much. Father, I pray your spirit would be evident in this place this morning as we read your word, explain it to us properly so that we can apply it to our lives powerfully. Thank you for the cross. Amen. Uh, the main point today is going to be very simple. Okay, very simple. And some of you think, I come on Sunday mornings because I don't want simple. I want it deep. Well, sometimes deep is simple or simple is smooth or easy or something, I don't know. But today, the main point is this, the peace you're looking for can only be found in Jesus. And I know some people don't like the word only, because it means, are you sure, Brian? I mean, can't I find my peace in some other way? No, I'm pretty positive. So I'm just here to save you some time today. The peace you are looking for can only be found in Jesus. That's it. And there's two things about this peace that we, that we find in Jesus. And the point one is this, in Christ we have peace with God. In Christ, we have peace with God. This is the most important peace we need, okay? I want to be clear about that. Because the peace that we talk about, like the absence of anxiety, the absence of fear, the absence of worry, that's a real thing, and we need that peace. And when you come to know Christ, you get some of that. You know why? Because you now have hope. And so when you learn to hope and trust in Jesus and the things that are going on around you and the things about your future, you have more peace, less worry, less anxiety, less stress, because you're putting your trust and hope in him. But the most important peace that you have to have is to have peace with God. Since the beginning of the fall this year here at Heritage, we've been studying through the book of Romans. And in case you've missed some of that or anything, let me just catch you up real quick, okay? The beginning of Romans is not good news. We have all sinned, every single one of us, okay? Therefore, we are enemies with God. Did you know that? That you were actually born into this world. Romans 1 says, without excuse, we are enemies with God because we are not in Christ. We are guilty before God the judge. And by the way, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can do to fix the problem. Bad stuff. But, Romans 3, 21, but now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now there's a way for me to receive God's righteousness without perfectly fulfilling all of his laws. Verse 24, we are justified or found not guilty by his grace as a gift. 
That's good news. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in Christ, we have peace with God. The possibility of peace between God and humans looks very bleak as you go through the Old Testament, okay? This healing of that broken relationship that is brought about by our sin, humans who can't fix the problem, but all of that is culminated perfectly, this possibility of peace in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what Romans is talking about. But that it is initiated in the incarnation of Jesus, which is why the word peace is all over the story of Jesus coming to earth that we read at Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Not just a prophecy hundreds of years before saying that he is our Prince of Peace, but, but think about the story. In Luke 1, God sends the angel Gabriel to Mary. And what's he send the angel with? A message of peace. Listen to what Luke 1, verse 26 in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Mary was gratefully, greatly troubled, it says. And rightfully so, right? I mean, how many times have you had an angel show up in your room and you know exactly what to do about this? She's very troubled. But what does he say? He said, don't be afraid. He says, be at peace. This is a message of peace I'm coming. I've come in peace. This is not for you to be worried about. He says something else. He says, you have found favor with God. That's very interesting, right? Because I promise, I just said a couple of minutes ago that Romans 1 tells us we can't find favor with God. So how did Mary find favor with God? Well, she found favor with God the way any of us do. She had faith in God and in his promise of the Messiah that he would one day send. Like so many of the Old Testament believers before Mary, she believed in Jesus even before Jesus came. And so she found favor with God through her faith. And now God had chosen her to be the vessel through which the Son would enter the world, bringing peace to that world. God also sent an angel to Joseph, right? Mary's fiancé. And the angel told Joseph this in Matthew 1.21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? He will save his people from their sins. That's peaceful. The name Jesus actually means salvation. Jesus was given this name because he was the promised Savior who would come to bring peace with God by saving us from our sins. You see, as long as your sins are counted against you, you cannot be at peace with God. We try. We try to show up at church or not cuss or not do this or make sure we help the lady across the street or, or make sure we smile in the family pictures at Christmas or whatever it is you try to do to make everybody seem like you're a good person, right? Because good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. But let me tell you, as long as your sins are counted against you, you cannot be at peace with God. Cannot be. But here's the deal. Jesus takes our sin. And with the trade, he gives us peace with God in return. Couldn't do it on our own. 
When John the Baptist, I don't know if you know this, did you know John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin? He was. He was an older cousin by three months, so he was probably, you know, he thought highly of himself. John the Baptist was born three months before Jesus, and John's father, Zechariah, prophesied about his own son, John. And in this prophecy, he talked about how John was going to come first and lead the way for Jesus. This is still during the whole Christmas story early on, Luke 1, verse 76. Look at what Zechariah, John's dad, says about his son John. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. (laughs) The whole message of, of Jesus coming to earth as a baby is this whole huge message of peace. Every part of it. And you gotta ask yourselves maybe, how does Jesus do this though? I mean, Why is it that everyone who puts their faith in this little baby child, Jesus, gets to find peace with God? Why is that? Well, it's because of what Jesus did when he was 33 years old later on the cross. And Isaiah, the same prophet, tells us about it in chapter 53. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus was born into this world at Christmas so he could save us from our sins by dying on the cross. This is how we are restored to a right relationship of peace with God. It is the only way. And we sing about it at Christmas too. Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, wrote the hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You know that that old hymn? The mystery of Christmas is indeed the meaning and message of the gospel. Listen to the lyrics. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Friendship. Mild he lays his glory by, born, why? That man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Jesus was born to save us. Christmas is about the gospel. The incarnation, okay, that's the birth of the very Son of God, is the greatest mystery ever. The great theologian John Calvin, he wrote this. Listen to what we get because of what Jesus has done. Becoming Son of Man with us, He made us sons of God with Him. By His descent to earth, He has prepared an ascent to heaven for us. That by taking on our mortality, he has conferred his immortality upon us. That accepting our weakness, he has strengthened us by his power. That receiving our poverty unto himself, he has transferred his wealth to us. That taking the weight of our iniquity upon himself, he has clothed us with his righteousness, putting us at peace with God. That's the message of Christmas. Church family, let me ask you, do you have peace with God? If you do, if you immediately say, yes, I have peace with God, the the only reason why is that you are in Christ. That is the reason. That is a great reason. Nothing to worry about. But if you're not sure or the answer is no, 
You guessed it. The reason is, is because you are not in Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the only way. On our own, we will never experience peace with God. But here's the second point. If we have peace with God, if we are in Christ, we have peace with God. In Christ, we also have peace with others. In Christ, we have peace with others. Back to our main passage. It says that he will be called the Prince of Peace. But this isn't only between God and individuals. I mean, look at the words that that this verse uses. He says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. He says, there will be no end to his peace. He's going to establish and uphold his kingdom. Okay? This peace that we're talking about is an all-encompassing, kingdom-wide, meant-for-everyone kind of peace. A little earlier in chapter 2 of Isaiah, we see this prophecy about the end of wars. In Isaiah 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes from many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Did you get that? These nations are going to lay down their weapons of war and pick up their tools to work together. He says, nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now we have not yet been perfected in Christ And all of these things that have been brought in with the first coming of Christ, they will be perfected at the second coming. And so there are still wars. There are still brothers who hate brothers. There are still disasters going on around us because of the attitudes of humans toward humans. However, can you imagine how much hatred and war there would be in the world if none were in Christ at all? Athanasius is one of these old Christian guys. He's one of what we call our church fathers. And he wrote this about nations who worship false gods and then meet Jesus. He says, even now those barbarians who have innate savagery of manners, while they still sacrifice to the idols of their country, are mad against one another and cannot endure to be a single hour without weapons. But when they hear the teaching of Christ, straightway instead of fighting they turn to husbandry. Instead of arming their hands, they raise them in prayer. And in a word, in place of fighting among themselves, henceforth they arm against the devil and against evil spirits, subduing these by self-restraint and virtue of soul. Church family, in Christ we have peace with others. We set aside our differences because of the unity that we have in him. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, goes so far as to say that we're no longer two individual people, but we're one. That's marriage language, right? Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Church family, can I tell you that you are 
are, are part of a, a family that you are supposed to be united in Christ to one another. There should be no war or hostility between you and another Christian brother or sister. But some of the most negative things that I ever hear are Christians saying negative things about other Christians. How can this be if we have been united together in Christ and the hostility, the wall of hostility has been torn down by him? I mean, I can't even imagine if I were to say something on Facebook about my mother or my wife. I'm thinking family dinner is not going that well that week. But we think that we can get on social media and talk bad about our Christian brothers and sisters and somehow God would not even look down on us for doing it. Church family, we in Christ are at peace with others. I know I got kind of hard on y'all right there for a minute, but come on. Okay, I'll, I'll lighten things up. I came from a really good high school. You ready for this? My high school was really good at football. I know you people in Florida think you're good at football, but I'm from Texas. Okay? You may have heard of us. I know Colt ran into someone the other day. He had heard of us. My high school was 5A when 5A was as big as it got. We were the Texas 5A state champions in 1993 and 1996. We were on the back of the Cheerios box. You probably ate some of those Cheerios in 1996. Let me tell you a little bit about our football team, though. It's really interesting. We, you know, we didn't pass the football on offense. I don't mean like kind of never. I mean never. In 96, when we won the state championship, did you know we didn't attempt one pass, and yet we set the record for the most points ever scored in a Texas state championship game with 56 points? The way this happens is because we run what was something called the wishbone. If you're a football player, you know what that is. If you're not, the wishbone is one quarterback and three running backs behind him. And on every single play, one of those four guys is going to run the ball. That's what we did. Now, you can imagine in a team like that, our offensive line was like the most important group on our team. Can you imagine? Because those, those big, ugly guys, they got to block people. Okay? And now let me tell you something. Our offensive line... They were really proud to be part of this offensive line. They were known in the state of Texas as the steamrollers, okay? They would get together on Monday and watch film for Friday night and see who had the most steamroll blocks when you lay someone on their back and steamroll them, okay? And so the offensive line, they were this group. And we all got letter jackets just like everybody, you know, every school gets letter jackets. But the offensive line, the steamrollers at Louisville High School, they got a special patch to put on their letter jacket. And it, and it showed everyone that they were part of that group, part of that family. And let me tell you, these guys, it didn't matter their differences, you know, like their last names or the color of their skin or some of them were smarter than others. And, you know, it didn't matter if they came from a family with money or not money. When they had that patch on, they were part of a group of family that they always had each other's back. They were always encouraging each other. They were always pushing each other to be the best that they could be. They support each other in everything. Well, over the centuries, the church has had some different patches or badges that we've used to show that we're kind of part of this family, this group. You know, we got the ictus. You know what that is? That's the fish that you probably shouldn't put on the back of your car if you ever use your horn. Um, we, got, we got the cross necklace, right? If you're really committed, you get the tattoo of a Bible verse on your arm. Or, you know, if you're semi-committed, you just slap a bumper sticker on your car. Um, 
Of course, the real badge that shows that you are part of the church family, capital C, universal church, is, is the Holy Spirit making his dwelling place in your heart. That's the seal. That's the proof that you are a believer in Christ. Can I say something to you Christians in the room real quick? We are part of a family, a group that's a really exciting group to be a part of. In Christ, we have peace with others. And we ought to set our hearts on living at peace with those around us, especially those in the church who are united with us in Christ. Amen? So the birth of Jesus, this, the coming to earth of the very Son of God has ushered peace into the world. And if, and that is a huge if, if we are in Christ, we have peace with God and peace with others. Heritage family, make no mistake, just like in the days of Isaiah, in the days of Ahaz, there is a war going around us. It is a war for your very soul. And we know the Bible teaches us that the enemy is Satan. And he is prowling around, searching for those who he can destroy. And just like in the days of King Ahaz, you have a choice. Are you going to trust in God, put your faith in him, lean on him, depend upon him? Or are you going to become an ally of the world? An ally of Satan, the prince of this world. Are you going to conform to his ways instead of the ways of the Lord? If you choose like King Ahaz, can I say this? To reject God, it will end in devastation for you. But if you choose to trust God, you will find the peace that you're looking for, even in the middle of the war, and you will find it in Christ. In fact, if you want to know the truth, all of these things, if you're looking for love, joy, hope, or peace, you will only find them in Christ. And I really can't even wait till uh, Friday. We're going to light that last candle and we're going to celebrate Christ together as a church family at our Christmas Eve services. I hope you'll be there. You know, the night that Jesus was born, as we close, I want to talk about something. The angels appeared to the shepherds. You know that story? The angels appeared out into the fields to the shepherds with the message of this. It said, glory to God in the highest and what? Peace on earth. With whom he is pleased. You know the story. The angels came to shepherds, you know, not kings or princes. They didn't come to the CEOs or the politicians of Bethlehem. Do you know why? Because the gospel is for everyone, everywhere. I said the gospel. You're like, no, this is the Christmas message. No, this is the gospel message. You know why? Because the angels said to the shepherds, they said, come see Jesus. And you will find the peace that you're looking for. It's a gospel message that night. And as Christians, this is now our message to the world, which is why we make such a big deal out of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering every year. We have over 4,000 IMB missionaries currently working around the world in some of the darkest places in the world to tell people walking in that darkness about the light of Jesus. And when we give our monies to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, 100% of that money, every penny of it, goes directly to missionaries to help support them in their ministry of the gospel. And our church's goal this year is $21,000. And I know that sounds like a lot of money. But last year our goal was like fifteen or 16000 and we blew it out of the water. So I didn't even really know where to start this year. So someone said, well, it's 2021, so let's do 21 and 21. And so that's where it came from. So this year our goal is $21,000 as a church family. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray as a family today and ask God what he would have you give this year. You can use those little special Lottie Moon envelopes in the seat back in front of you. 
and put your gift in that and put them in the offering boxes when you leave. And then on Friday at our Christmas Eve services, we're going to announce how much our church gave this year to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Before we leave today, I want us to watch just a short, short video about Lottie Moon and then, um, and then I'll come back and we'll pray. Before Christ, I lived in a house with a demon. When I was growing up in a Hindu family, a demon possessed my mom every week. Hindus actually believed my mom was a goddess and they called me son of the goddess. I was 25 years old when someone shared the gospel with me and Christ changed me and my entire family. I was no longer the son of the goddess, but son of the living God. As a new believer, I didn't know where to start, but God called men and women into my life to disciple me, to teach me and to walk alongside me as I shared Christ with friends, family and strangers. When God called me into ministry, these men and women, these missionaries became my close friends and partners. We looked out over big cities and tiny villages, choking on false beliefs they had inherited, and we begged God to breathe life into them, and God answered. God used us and other believers to draw a harvest of dozens, hundreds, and thousands to Christ. Together with my partners, I organized these Christians into house churches, we encourage them in evangelism and we disciple them in God's word. The churches kept growing and the gospel kept going out. Dawn has come for gospel work in South Asia. Join your South Asian brothers and sisters. Join the IMB as laborers in the greatest harvest field in the world. Now is the time. Now it's your turn. When we, when we give to that kind of offering, we get to partner and be a part of what God is doing all around the world. I mean, right now, because of COVID, we can hardly get on a plane to go to even another state, much less to go to a place like India or something like that. But God has made a way for some of our people to be there, and even nationals there in places like India are coming to know Jesus and then becoming the missionaries there in their own hometown. I love that. Let's pray as we go today, and let's pray that God would would multiply our resources around the world this year at the Lottie Moon Christmas offering so that we can see more and more of those coming to say yes to Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that your word will not return void and for how many laborers you have sent out into the field and for their faithfulness. Father, I pray today that they would feel encouraged that they are being prayed for, that they would be strengthened, that they would be given rest and peace as they are working in such a most difficult place. But Father, I pray that you would show them favor, that they would see more and more come to know you, and they would experience peace with God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the cross. Amen.